The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. This is Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining today. I grew up in a family well acquainted with the demonic. My father used to tell us stories that chilled me when I was a child of demonic poltergeist kinds of things happening when mother and dad were first married. They lived in Denver, Colorado, and they lived in a haunted house. It had been built by a witch, and the house was designed with demonic intent, the dark arts. After going through a number of poltergeist kinds of experiences and being terrified, they finally fell on their faces before God and prayed until the demonic presence left the house, and as quickly as they could, they found another place and moved. My dad shared many other experiences. And then one day when my brother Don and I were just children, we were playing in the barn on our farm where we lived. The barn had burned partially many years earlier, and a herd of horses had been killed in that fire. They had not been able to escape. We were just playing, talking, laughing, as children do in that barn. When suddenly we heard the pounding hooves of horses as they were coming up the pasture, making all of their sounds, snorting noises, stampeding. Now the barn had an opening on one side and a U-turn all the way out to exit on the other side, and and on the floor, cement floor, were old corrugated tins, some eight feet long and and perhaps four feet wide. They had been used in a partial repair of this barn. We quickly climbed to get out of the way of these horses, and suddenly they were in the barn snorting and ripping and stomping. The tin was bouncing up and down. The dust was flying. We were terrified because they ran right around that that U-turn and out into the pasture until we heard them. They were gone. The problem was we couldn't see the horses. They were invisible. We ran home, terrified. We told my dad what we had seen. He said, don't go back to the barn today, but let's pray about it. And then we discovered that during that time, a a black witch had been at our neighbor's house holding a seance. And Dad said, that explains what you boys saw. There was a demonic attack to try to scare you with the dark arts. I've had other experiences of demonic presence. I won't recount them here because I don't in any way wish to honor the power of the dark arts. 
but I have stood face to face with visible demonic entities, demons, and I've had to deal with them. They have tried to take my life. Now, my dad said something to me when I was a child during this experience. He said to me, Ray, when you are mature and adult and you're a pastor, you're going to have to deal constantly with the dark arts, with witchcraft. I said, Daddy, that's impossible. Nobody's going to believe in witchcraft anymore. It was quickly waning in our culture at that point. Seances were going out of style. Probably the only thing that was happening as a child beyond what took place for us was people going to parties and playing with the Ouija board. Always, though, witchcraft was there and it was hidden. Dad said, you're going to have to deal with that because there's going to be a tremendous resurgence of witchcraft at the end of time. I didn't understand how that would happen. But I come today to say to you, witchcraft is on the ascendancy. It always comes during a time of poverty, of uncertainty. It always rises up when people are worried and troubled and they don't know what the future is, and they turn to magic or sorcery or witchcraft to try to find answers. They they turn to shamanism, to witch doctors. So you won't be surprised with that background that when Harry Potter was published, the volumes of the Harry Potter series... I immediately said, I have to read these. And so I sat down and read them through from volume one all the way through to the end. And I warned at that time, don't let your children read these volumes because they literally are are training young people in witchcraft and causing it to be seen in a very positive light. It's still very popular today. And many children have received their first initiation into witchcraft through the Harry Potter volumes. Now, part of what's happening today is that there is such such a breakage, uh, a destruction of the healthy psychic lifestyle. And I'm going to be careful not to use a lot of psychological words. I could, but I don't want to. I don't want to bring any respect or honor to the dark arts. I don't condemn people. Rather, my heart is to rescue, is to bring men and women into the light of the gospel of Jesus where there is true freedom and true healing. But today we find a term that is being used among those who do witchcraft and shamanism, of soul loss. And by that is meant the inner fragmentation caused by a traumatic experience in your life. It could be a a sexual abuse issue. It could be 
not achieving your goal because of very critical parents, abusive parents. It could come out of addiction to alcohol or food or sex to drugs. All addictions carry with it a demonic element. Addictions are in place in a person's life because they have already lost a portion of their soul. Now, by losing the soul, I don't mean that it's entirely gone, but I mean the decision has been made by that person that this is what must happen for my protection. Uh, We call that ego in psychological terms, and it's used as a defense mechanism because of intense unhappiness. I, with my wife some years ago, had a young woman come and live with us. And my wife sensed something was wrong as we were praying, and she was upstairs in her bedroom. So she went up to find what was going on and to check on her because we could sense a darkness coming upon the house. We live in a a place, and I live in a place now, where when people walk in, they immediately sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. They, They sense the presence of God. There's a peace and a joy in my home. And many people comment as they enter, and they say, there's something different here. There's... The presence of God is so powerful, it's so overwhelming. And that's true, it is. So my wife went up and knocked on the door, and a very weak yes came, and so she opened the door. And this young woman was sitting stripped naked in the middle of a pentagon with candles and a knife, and she was cutting her arm. We were heartbroken. We immediately made her put the candles out, throw them away, erase the the Pentagon, and come downstairs, and we began to pray with her. It took time. It was because of a physical abuse from her from her father. She couldn't deal with it. It was too much for her. She was suicidal. It took a lot of very careful work in the spirit. Today, she's a a wonderful mother. She has five, five children now, married to a wonderful guy, a serious Christian, totally set free with that inner healing process of the Holy Spirit. How can you tell if you have soul loss? Well, if you're involved in some kind of addiction, alcohol, sex, food, spending, whatever the addiction is, a sense of of weakness in in your body, a sense of fatigue and depression, deep anxiety, 
a sense of of emptiness, not knowing what your purpose is, a sense that something vital is missing in your life. You're controlled by fear. You have a sense of, of shame and uncleanness. You have a sense of guilt. You feel numb. You have a sense of of hopelessness in your heart. All of these are signs that you have soul loss. The question is, can you recover? And if so, how? When I I look at this issue, I recognize that, that soul loss is a very, very serious issue in our culture today. All of us have suffered in some way or other, soul loss. Fear was the um, the prison that I lived in for many, many years. It was the driving force of my life. It prevented me from doing many things I wanted to do. I was in my spirit terrified. I felt totally unsafe. I felt completely vulnerable. And so I countered that by working and working and working, a workaholic. I countered that by escaping into, into action movies. I, I dealt with it by going to violent movies. Now, this is many years ago, but I also escaped into television. And some of you today are escaping into the Internet into YouTubes. You spend hours listening to the news and you have escaped into five or six hours a day of of watching YouTube videos. That's because you have experienced soul loss. Then there are certain afflictions, physical afflictions that come. I'm not saying all, but some, and more than more than just a small amount. We find cancer patients have experienced some kind of soul loss, and the result is cancer. Many times, arthritis, yes, it's a dietary issue. It could be a heredity issue. It is a real medical issue, but it is also a body reaction to soul loss. Now we find in Scripture a classic story of soul loss, and I'm going to be dealing with this issue much of the week. There's a lot we need to say about it, and there's a lot we need to give direction to for the healing and the restoring of your soul. So please don't hear this broadcast as casting an aspersion on anyone or in any way a judgment about anyone because all of us have experienced soul loss. But the healing process that we pursue because of that soul loss, will determine the outcome 
of the healing process. One of those places where I turned for healing in this process was psychotherapy. I was in training as a pastoral counselor, a pastoral psychotherapist, and one of the requirements was that I go through personally psychotherapy. I learned a great deal in that and, frankly, practiced for a number of years pastoral psychotherapy and made a lot of difference in a lot of people's lives. But it wasn't the kind of healing that led a person fully into the light. And I've recognized that you can have partial healing, but if you remain in the dark, you've not really entered into the fullness of the gospel of Jesus. I recall spending a great deal of time reading and experiencing what is called the Course in Miracles. It seemed Christian to me at the time. Uh, One of the members of my congregation was very much into the Course in Miracles. They taught it and also into reincarnation. And this was a time in my life when I was very much searching for answers and for healing. And so I turned to Jan Jampolsky, Dr. Jampolsky, who was one of my favorite authors on the question of the Course in Miracles and taught quite a few classes personally in the Course in Miracles. But I want to tell you, the Course in Miracles was written by an agnostic Jewish woman, and it was dictated to her. She said it was not her writing. Even as the author of the uh, Harry Potter novels said she did, it did not flow out of her. It was dictated to her. Well, there are powers of darkness that can do things like that. Now, some people just blow off the devil and say, oh, he has no power. He has a great deal of power. Talk to Job about the devil and his power. The devil went to the Lord God of heaven and asked permission to sift Job, and permission was granted. Jesus said that the devil wanted to sift Peter. And so the devil set it up and at a very key time, struck the Apostle Peter and caused him to respond in fear and the denial of Jesus. The Lord actually had to say to Peter, Get thou behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of of man, not of God. So what I want to say to you is that there are In the spirit realm, there are two very powerful forces, but not equal forces. The devil, Lucifer, the powers of darkness, the deep spirits are no match for Jesus Christ. He took them captive at the cross. And if you want true healing, you need to pursue earnestly the one who can give you that true healing, and his name is Jesus. I'm going to show you that this week as we go through the scriptures. 
and we talk about soul loss. But I want to take you to this prime example. In the Old Testament, his name was Saul. He was king. And King Saul was brought by the Spirit of God forward, changed, and made king of Israel. He was a very powerful fighter, but he chose to turn from the healing that God offered him and to go back into, please, ego, defense, posturing to be the greatest. And so King Saul refused to obey the word of God. He went his own way. Frankly, even though he destroyed many of those of the dark powers, there was still a desperate attraction in his heart to the unclean. Now, please let me just set up a standard quickly. The dark powers are always unclean powers. And they will always leave a person feeling like they've been raped. They will leave a person in desperation. Oh, not at the beginning, but in the end, the dark spirit powers are unclean. Versus the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus, is always going to be marked by healing, by light, by a lifting of the Spirit. Humanism is utterly exhausting, while the Holy Spirit is always invigorating. And humanism will always finally turn to utter darkness and to witchcraft. There is, in the fallen nature of man, a deadly attraction to the dark powers, to the unclean. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus comes and he sets himself up according to 1 John. He comes to set himself up in total opposition to the powers of darkness. There is no cooperation between the devil and Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you that this week. But now as we come to this, King Saul has his heart increasingly filled with fear, with desperation, with anger and bitterness, with jealousy. He tries to murder his own son. He tries to murder a man by the name of David. He fails in both attempts because the protecting hand of God was on them. 
Saul is about destroying everyone he considers an enemy. He is a man of violence, of bitterness and anger. He's losing his soul. I want to just stop and and mark here so that there's no misunderstanding. Angry rage and bitterness, lust, a desire for ascendancy, are all a part of soul loss. On the side of Jesus, love is the bottom line. I met a couple of people this last Sunday. No, it was Saturday. And one of them very boldly made this statement. Love is my bottom line. I couldn't help but smile broadly. Yes! Love is the bottom line of the light. Love is the bottom line for Jesus Christ. Lying, cheating, deceiving, uncleanness, hatred, bitterness, those are all the bottom lines of the powers of darkness. Jesus said Satan was a liar, a thief, a murderer that he didn't know how to speak the truth. He would always be a liar. Now, you may not have experienced the depth of that darkness yet. You may be attracted by the Course in Miracles because there is much truth. One of the principles that I learned very quickly, you're never angry for the reason you think you're angry. Well, that causes one to delve more deeply, to understand one's own heart, and understand why there's bitterness in your heart and anger. And it's usually not for the reason you think it's it's there. But I would be exhausted after these sessions with the Course in Miracles, either teaching leading conferences, or walking through the psychotherapeutic work. It was not helpful to me. There were gimmicks that were supposed to help me recover. I found them to be of temporary aid, but long-term, they left me depressed. They left me more hopeless than before I started. It was in the midst of that struggle that I began to earnestly search after Jesus. This was many years ago. And I want to tell you, I found Jesus. And what a gift he is in my heart and my life. What a gift his love is to me. Because Jesus' bottom line is always love. I want you to get that today. Write it down. Jesus' bottom line is always love. And when these new friends said to me, our bottom line is love, I rejoiced in that statement. 
Now, there's a, a great deal of wandering around that goes on in the process. But step by step, we either are released from our chains or the chains bind us even more tightly. Sometimes we're in relationships that are very destructive to us, led there by our own ego, our own lust, our own desires, or we're led there even by the Spirit of God. But the partner decides to go the way of darkness, to not open their heart to the power of love in Jesus Christ. That's a heartbreaking situation. Now, I want to pick up the story of Saul. He is facing his arch enemy, the Philistines. They're in Ashkelon. They're in Gaza. They are very powerful. And by the way, there's no longer any such thing as Philistines. They were all wiped out. I don't even believe there's anything such as Palestinians, which is connected to Philistines. I believe they're Egyptians, Jordanians, Iraqis, Afghans. They're not Palestinians. That's why God would never approve of a two-state solution in Israel. Many are trying to push that, but in the end, it will fail. Now, the Philistines have gathered, and Saul is terrified. We find this in 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter. Terror filled his heart. But he had moved so deeply into the darkness. He'd moved so deeply into disobedience and a casting off of the living God of heaven that now he's in a panic. And he comes to try to get an answer from God. 28, this is 1 Samuel 28, 6. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim, or the prophets. It is possible in this soul-loss situation to so lose your soul that you've lost connection with the Almighty God of heaven and you have been given over to the powers of darkness. And under this condition, you can pray all you want and God will not answer because the only avenue by which you can come to the Lord God of heaven is the avenue of repentance. If Saul had, instead of coming and asking about the Philistine army, if he had come in humble humility, repenting for how he had treated the God Almighty of heaven, if he had come repenting for how he had treated David or his son Jonathan, If he had come in humility before God, God would have answered him. But he did not, and God would not answer. Some of you listening today will pray, and God will not answer. 
and you will say it's useless to pray. And frankly, I find many Christian churches today who have totally lost their soul. The lampstand has been removed from them. The Holy Spirit is long gone because they are churches. If you open the door and look in, they just look like America. They're institutions. They're cultures. They're not a body. They have given themselves to entertainment and to make-believe. And inner healing does not happen there. It's all pretense. And great churches in the physical realm have been built, mega churches, but there's really no presence of God. And so they substitute that for emotionalism in their what they call praise and worship. But there's no real presence of God because when the presence of God comes, repentance comes, humility comes, love for one another comes, transparency and honesty come. You won't find pastors of megachurches turning to pornography and gain. You won't find pastors of megachurches who are hirelings who experience the true presence of Almighty God, for God has left them. So, King Saul does the only thing he knows to do, He says to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium or a witch, so I may go and inquire of her for the outcome of this battle. He's told there is one in Endor. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothing, not king's clothes. He comes at night. He and two of his men go to this this witch. And he says to her, Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up the one for me that I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Verse 10, Saul swore to her by the Lord. What insanity! Insanity marks the loss, the soul loss. It will finally come to a place of insanity. And that's where Saul was. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. So the woman says, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. And what does he look like? An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. And then Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Now I seriously doubt that this was actually the person of Samuel. I suspect it was a demon 
masquerading. But nonetheless, it there's a very clear purpose for this demon, or if it's Samuel. He said, I'm in great distress. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams, so I have called on you to tell me what to do. Now, I want you to see this. Soul loss takes place at the extreme level when you no longer can pray and God will answer. Soul loss occurs when you face the crisis and you are terrified. Samuel said, why did you consult me now that the Lord has turned away from you because he's become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David, because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. The Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. In other words, you will die. The Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. Well, immediately Saul fell full life on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day or night. Many scholars believe that it was during this battle with the Philistines that they took possession of the Ark of the Covenant and killed the two sons of Eli. Verse 21, When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, Look, your maidservant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food so you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his men joined the women in urging him, and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fatted calf at the house, which she butchered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. And she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. Now, I want you to see something that is very striking to my heart. Saul ended up sitting at the dark power's table, terrified. He put his feet under the witch's table, and she fed him and nourished him. There is some nourishment to be found at the witch's table. There is some food to be found in the dark powers. It is deceptive, and it ends in your death. But King Saul determined that he would come and sit at the witch's table and he would be fed and he would be strengthened and then he went on to die in the battle. 
So I want you to hear me, please. You may have an experience with shamanism. You may have an experience with the dark powers. You may have experience with the Course in Miracles. You may have felt strange things. But all through that process, the mighty Holy Spirit of God has been calling you to leave that darkness and come into the light. He wants to restore your soul. He wants to heal your bruises and your brokenness. He wants to take from you bitterness and anger and hurt. And he wants to heal you. Please hear me as I say it to you again now. God's bottom line is love. God is not here to judge you or to condemn you. It is always the dark powers that bring condemnation. It is always the dark powers that cause us to feast at the devil's table. Well, where is the devil's table today? The devil's table is spread in violent movies, in the television. The devil's table is spread for you in revenge, in vindictiveness. The devil's table is spread for you in fear and anxiety. The devil's table is spread for you in judgmentalism, in condemnation, in pride. The devil's table is spread for you in the natural flesh reactions of the human heart. And in that place, death reigns. It reigns in lies and deceptions. And God calls us to come out of that. And I want to read for you in the last minutes of this broadcast, a passage of scripture Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He restores soul loss. He guides me in paths of righteousness. That word righteousness just means innocence. He guides me in paths of innocence for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Please, Saul came and put his feet under the table of a witch. David comes and puts his feet 
under the table of the Lord where his soul is restored to him. We're going to talk about this Psalm 23 tomorrow. That's all the time we have today. I pray that today has been eye-opening and helpful for you. Listen to the broadcast again. Grab a hold of this truth. And we'll take it much further as the week progresses. Oh Lord, I pray for each person who is listening, who is conscious of their soul loss. And I'm praying for your love to fill their hearts, to bind up their wounds, to heal them body, soul, and spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, just a quick note as we come to the end of the broadcast. We are still just over $2,000 short of being able to cover the cost of the radio broadcast. And you know, I've shared with you many times, I'm not going to go in debt. When we can't pay for the broadcast, I'll simply cancel the broadcast. I can't go in debt. I don't have the resources to cover the radio broadcast, but I believe that many of you listening treasure these times together. And I believe that you will step forward and help cover the cost of the broadcast. So I ask, please, this is the week I need to hear from you. I ask, would you write to me? You can send your check or your money order or cash to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, you can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. I want to thank all of those of you who have already given. We're pushing toward $4,000 for this month, but we're just over $2,000 short. I stand by faith that God will move in your hearts and you will give. And I say, oh, my brother and my sister, let love be your bottom line. And know that God wants to heal this soul loss in your heart. We'll talk further about that this week. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.